Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. Our guest speaker is a former member of Congregation Beth Hillel. He is a graduate of Georgia Tech with a degree in nuclear engineering, but he now leads a congregation in Greenville, South Carolina, a Don alum Messianic congregation. Please join me in giving him a big Beth Hillel welcome to Rabbi Todd Lesser. Thank you, Joel. It's uh, always a blessing to be back uh, in Atlanta here at Beth Hillel. A little bit of history for those of you uh, who may not know. We first attended Beth Hillel in 1984, about 38 years ago. I was about five years old at the time. Um, <clears throat> no. Rabbi Kevin had actually just had his bar mitzvah. Of course, he wasn't a rabbi quite yet. Um, we were meeting in a small shopping center right next to Domino's Pizza and across the street from the IRS on Buford Highway. That's how we used to give people directions uh, when they needed to know how to get there. I also played on the Beth Hillel Lions uh, softball team. I think we might have a picture up there. Uh, do you all have any congregational sports teams these days? Uh, okay, not so much. Um, <clears throat> One of the things I'll mention is, um, I remember it was April 25th, I was driving to a practice on Sunday morning, uh, right by the synagogue and then uh, out to Sandy Springs, uh, and there were snow flurries hitting my car. So I realized that the weather can be a little changeable uh, in Atlanta in April. Uh, here's a picture of my family when we had our older daughter Karen's uh, bat mitzvah here. Uh, my wife, Sarah Francis, some know her uh, as SF, is here with me tonight. If you'll stand up just so the folks can see. Okay, you'll raise your, if you'll raise your hand so the folks can see you. Um, she can be a little shy sometimes. Uh, and also, uh, here's uh, the family last year with our four children, their three spouses, and our nine uh, grandchildren. Truly, we've been blessed. All four of our children uh, were actually dedicated here at uh, Beth Hillel. Now, when I was here, uh, people really knew their scriptures. Rabbi E used to say, I hope you brought your Bibles to follow along. I love to hear those pages turning. Uh, today, I guess, these don't make quite so much noise. Uh, so um, <clears throat> if you hear noise from them, uh, that just causes someone to get mad. Anyway, did you know that cars have been important to us as Jewish people? Uh, after all, we named our first month on our calendar after one, right? <laughs> Nissan? Of course, it used to be called Datsun. 
the car, not, not the month. Uh, I quiz my congregation at Purim on cars in the scriptures. Let's see how you do. For example, Genesis 3 verse 23 tells us the Lord drove Adam out of the garden. What did the Lord drive? Apparently a Plymouth because he drove him out in his fury. (laughs) King David may have driven a British car because after his victory over Goliath, David's triumph became known throughout the land. And we all know what the disciples got around in. In Acts 1 verse 14, we're told that the disciples were all in one accord. Actually, it may have belonged to Yeshua, but we don't know because he wouldn't talk about it. According to John 12 verse 49, Yeshua said, For I did not speak of my own accord. (laughs) Speaking of King David, his writings in Psalm 83 suggest that the Lord may have driven two cars, a Pontiac and a Geo. In Psalm 83, David urges the Lord, Pursue your enemies with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Finally, because you can't take much more, the Lord may have used a Dodge truck as a signal to the Israelites. He told them in Exodus 19, verse 13, only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. All right, so uh, I thought I'd start off with something a little bit humorous uh, because um, the uh, topic of the the message is uh, kind of serious uh, and we're probably not going to find a lot of laughs. Uh, talking about it. But let me talk about something a little more current uh, for a moment. Were any of you watching March Madness this year? Okay, when I asked my congregation, I got crickets. Anyway, uh, in the tournament this year, there were two ultimate underdog stories, one being North Carolina, a number eight seed, making it to the finals. Their seeding meant that the tournament organizer didn't even think they were one of the top 25 teams in the country. And if that didn't make the brackets hard enough to predict, then there was number 15 seed, St. Peter's University, the only 15 seed ever to make it as far in the tournament as they did. The only people who had St. Peter's defeating number two seed Kentucky were people who went to St. Peter's. So North Carolina and St. Peter's are referred to as bracket busters. I say all that to say this. The Jewish people have had a little March Madness of our own. Purim could be described as a bracket-busting event. As we see in the book of Esther, our destruction seems so certain that a specific day was selected for when we would be wiped out as a people. Instead, every year on that day, we celebrate our unexpected victory, recounting the events and booing the villain every time his name is said. Did y'all boo Haman this year? Okay, apparently you did. This most improbable victory is found in the Bible, but most church people are unaware of the story. Maybe it's because it's so hard today to relate to a maniacal leader in Iran seeking to wipe out the Jewish people. I don't know. Anyway, next week the Jewish people will be celebrating another bracket buster. A group of slaves were able to escape the Egyptian army probably the greatest army in the world at that time. How'd they do it? Signs and wonders provided by the creator of the universe to get Pharaoh to let the people go. The Egyptians were in such a hurry to see us go that they sent us away with our matzah and their jewelry and clothing. And when the Egyptian army came after us, 
It was an army of horses and chariots coming after a group of ex-slaves on foot. When they had us pinned down at the edge of the Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds, or Red Sea as it's sometimes translated, Moses said to the people, as we see in Exodus 14, verse 13, stand still and see the Yeshuat Adonai, the Yeshua, the salvation of the Lord. And we walked through the sea on dry ground, and the Egyptian army drowned trying to follow us into the sea as the waters returned. But wait, there's more, as they say. We celebrate three bracket busters every year. I've mentioned Purim and Passover. You're probably ahead of me. There's Hanukkah, right? When the Maccabees defeated the army of Antiochus Epiphanes, again, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, armies in the world at that time. They even had elephants, which were the tanks of their day. That's the good news. Three times every year, we celebrate these seemingly impossible victories as we see the Lord's hand in delivering our people against overwhelming odds in the past. It's easy to have faith when we know the outcome, isn't it? But it's much tougher to have that same amount of faith in the midst of the battle when we don't know how things are going to turn out. And I think that's where we find ourselves today, in a world where evil seems to be triumphing over good, where we've just finished, we hope, our final significant wave of a pandemic, where bad is, evil is called good, and good is called evil. The, the world tells us our, uh, its lies, and uh, so much of our world has come to believe, for example, that we can get into heaven based on our good deeds. In a time where lines of distinctions are being blurred, in a time where we see an increase in terrorism being perpetrated against our people dwelling in the land that God has given to them, uh, <clears throat> these are times where we are challenged, and yet we should be as confident of the Lord providing the victory uh, as we celebrate three times each year. Rabbi Kevin spoke last month on how the red heifer shows us that death is really a lie, uh, that there is more to this world than just what we see in this life, that we are not a collection of random molecules. Each of us has been created with a purpose. Once again, uh, when I came to Beth Hillel, Rabbi uh, E would often say, you're not here by chance today, you're here by divine appointment. We are to give glory to our Creator. We are to be a blessing to others. We have a purpose. We demonstrate His faithfulness. The existence of our people demonstrates His faithfulness. But there's another problem. We can be contaminated by this world, by its lies, by seeking after its trophies. And like King David in Psalm 51, verse 10 or 12, depending on the translation, we may need to say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And this is why we seek truth, even as we dwell in a world that constantly lies to us. And our source of truth is my telephone these days, because that's uh, where I'm usually following along if anybody's giving scripture references. It's the written revelation of the creator of the universe in his grace given to his people so that we might better understand the truths that he would have us to know. 
So based on this week's portion, we are going to try and find truth in Sara'at, often uh, translated as uh, leprosy, but I'm going to point out in a minute uh, that I think that uh, that is a little bit misleading. Because I am hoping that what we will find as we examine anything in any of the Torah portions is we find God's plan of redemption revealed. And it paints a picture of how he would provide his son as the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Now, Sara'at is really different than uh, leprosy as the term is used today. Because today, leprosy is a medical condition that can be treated by doctors uh, with modern drugs. Sara'at is a spiritual affliction that results in ritual impurity, uh, the person being ceremonially unclean, uh, and it's evaluated not by a doctor as a result, but by a kohen, or a priest. Also, unlike leprosy, clothing and houses could be contaminated by sara'at as well. And the ritual impurity would prevent the person from being able to come into the tabernacle or temple and participate in its service, in its worship, in its sacrifices until the impurity had been cleansed. Now, y'all have been listening very nice and attentively. I'm going to give you a chance to participate a little bit. Uh, Anybody remember who was afflicted with sara'at according to the scriptures? Any examples that you can think of? Just call it out. Okay, Miriam, right. Uh, Along with her brother Aaron, uh, Moses' sister, Miriam, was. uh, they questioned his leadership, and she was the one uh, who was struck uh, with Sara'at. They were really questioning the nationality of his wife, uh, Zipporah, because she was from uh, Cush, or uh, Ethiopia. Uh, And when Moses asked the Lord to heal her, uh, he's told that she must spend seven days outside the camp, just like we read earlier about uh, the Mitzorah having to spend seven days uh, outside the tent in that uh, seven-day or eight-day, depending on how you count, uh, cleansing ritual. Uh, Anybody else besides Miriam? Who's that famous guy who had to dunk seven times? Naaman, Naaman, right? Naaman rhymes with Haman, but um, only in the English. Uh, <clears throat> one's Haman, and the other is Naaman. But anyway, we'll, we'll uh, not dwell too quickly, but um, we're not really told why Naaman had it, and he's actually uh, a situation where a, a foreigner uh, has it. Um, but nonetheless, he was told in uh, by Elisha, Elisha, in 2 Kings Uh, chapter 5, that he had to immerse himself seven times in the Jordan to be restored. Uh, And I I pick my words, there's there's healing, there's cleansing, there's restoration. Whatever the verse says, that's what I'm going to tell you. Um, Anybody else? Because after, if you'll remember, after Naaman's uh, restoration through being um, immersed seven times in the Jordan, remember his servant? Uh, Gehazi, or Gehazi is, is probably pronounced in the English, um, Naaman was, wanted to give a tribute, a gift to Elisha, uh, but Elisha refused, and uh, Gehazi decided he, he wanted a little bit of the action, and um, he went up 
uh, and asked Naaman for a tribute. And as a result, uh, Gehazi was afflicted with Sarah'at. Uh, also, earlier in the Haftarah portion that we read this evening, uh, there were four men with Sarah'at uh, outside the city at the gate of Shomron, which was under siege and uh, by the Syrians. And they're kind of uh, deciding what is their option as they're dying of starvation. And they decide they really have nothing to lose but to go down to the Syrian encampment and see if they can possibly get some food there. And it turns out uh, the encampment has been deserted uh, as the Syrians have fled in fear. They've left food and money behind. And after eating and drinking a while, they, uh, these four men decide to tell the king of Samaria about it. And that actually brings an, an end to the siege. And so, <laughs> excuse me, those are the situations that we see uh, with Sarah'at. There are also um, two kings of Judah. Uh, in uh, second, or second Kings uh, chapter 15, there's a king, uh, Azariah, uh, um, or Azariah, uh, a king of Judah who failed to remove the high places where the people were worshiping foreign gods. And so uh, he was afflicted for Sarah'at for the rest of his life. Same for King uh, Uziahu in 2 Chronicles 26, uh, because under the Torah, there were three distinct leadership roles. Uh, there was the king, there was the prophet, and there was the priest. And those three were uh, separated from one another. They were different individuals. And uh, Uziahu, or Uzziah, was a king of Judah who acted in more than one of these roles when he acted as a priest by offering up uh, incense on the altar of incense. And once again, he was afflicted with Sarah'at for the rest of his life. Now, that kind of tells us a summary of what we know about Sarah'at uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. It could very well be that the Lord has established this condition, this spiritual affliction, this state of uncleanness, uh, only for the revelation that would come in the New Covenant Scriptures. We don't really know. Uh, because there are two accounts in the New Covenant Scriptures of Yeshua healing Sarah'at. In Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, Yeshua heals a man who has Sarah'at and tells him then to go to the Kohen, to the priest, to verify the healing in accordance with the Torah. And the second account is when Yeshua doubles down on this miracle, or more accurately, doubles down five times by healing ten men of Sarah'at, as recounted in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 14. Now, I once heard a teaching by Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum that this was one of the miracles that only the Messiah could perform. Have any of you heard of Dr. Fruchtenbaum? I, okay, I see some heads nodding. That's good. Um, <clears throat> then I have to give him credit uh, for having said this and can't take credit for it myself. Uh, he teaches that because no Israelite, since Moses' sister Miriam, is recorded as being healed of Sarah'at, the rabbis by the time of Yeshua had determined that healing Sarah'at was one of the miracles that only the Messiah could do. Another issue was that coming into contact with Sarah'at would render someone unclean. But Yeshua, instead of being defiled, instead of he becoming unclean, he brings cleansing to those who are unclean, and he remains undefiled. 
And that's why, according to Dr. Fruchtenbaum, healing of Sarah was understood to be one of four miracles that only the Messiah could perform. And just real quickly, I'll give you the other three. Uh, restoring sight to someone born blind, as Yeshua did in John chapter 9. Uh, casting out a demon without knowing its name, as we find in Matthew chapter 9. And resurrecting someone after they had been dead for three days uh, is the third one, besides um, cleansing of Sarah'at, which is uh, the timing. Three days is when the uh, thinking at that time was that that was when the spirit left the body. So, um, of course, Yeshua did this with Lazarus uh, in John chapter 11. So we see that Yeshua has performed all four of these uh, messianic miracles as described by Dr. Fruchtenbaum. Now, a little more trivia for you, just because we haven't had enough tonight. Where are clean and unclean first mentioned in the Bible? Is it part of the Mosaic Covenant, or did it come before that? Actually, in Genesis 7, verse 2, this may start to ring a bell, Noah is told to take different numbers of animals on the ark, depending on whether they are tahor, clean, and suitable for sacrifice, or low tahor, uh, not clean or unclean. I suspect many believers do not concern themselves with this issue because they wrongly think it's part of the Mosaic Covenant, the concept of clean and unclean, which they wrongly have been taught has been done away with. Even though Yeshua said in Matichahu, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, that he had not come to do away with the law or the prophets, he had not come to destroy but to fulfill, and the smallest letter or stroke, he said, would not pass away until all is fulfilled. Now, those same people would probably be surprised to find out that in the King James translation, the term clean, uh, in Greek it's katharizo, uh, is found 18 times in the New Covenant Scriptures, and the term unclean, the Greek is akathartos, is found 32 times. Now, 21 times it refers to unclean spirits, but 11 times, all after the death of Messiah, of Yeshua, it refers to clean and unclean. And the first uh, example of that is the unclean foods that were on the sheet that Peter saw in his vision in Acts chapter 10. So uh, as we start in, uh, we've been trying to understand how Leviticus, uh, a book that's about the role of the priest in the tabernacle and in the temple, relates to us today. But of course, in Leviticus 11, we find what animals can be eaten, what we call kosher today, those animals are described as tahor, clean or pure. Uh, those that cannot be eaten are described as tamay, unclean. And then in Leviticus 12, as Dr. Bruce Tucker mentioned last week, the blood that accompanies childbirth would render the mother tamay, unclean. And in Leviticus 13, we find the concept of sara'at introduced because it also renders someone unclean. And as we said, it was up to the Kohen uh, to determine if a person had sara'at by examining the person's skin and seeing what the sores look like. Uh, one of the issues that we struggle with is if we just go through the portions, we have to take them as they come. And we believe that God is able to reveal truth and has told us uh, and revealed 
these various aspects, even though sometimes uh, I almost get a little squeamish uh, thinking about that priest examining the sores. It's kind of like a doctor, but um, I'd get squeamish there too. So uh, either way, I'm in trouble. If the person was determined to have sara'at, initially they would be tame, unclean, and they were also to make sure that others knew of their state by putting their hands over their upper lip and announcing tame, tame, unclean, unclean. And then this week's Torah portion picks up in Leviticus 14 and 15. Leviticus 14 deals with sara'at, and Leviticus 15 deals with bodily discharges. So I decided to talk about sara'at. Um, we have to remember, as we read through the scriptures, this is not um, theological data and facts that we memorize to spit back to somebody on a test. This was the instructions that the Israelites, the Jewish people of long ago, lived by. And so it dealt with every issue that they might encounter in interacting with one another, in their homes, in their families, uh, you know, in their private lives. And so we'll be talking mostly about Sarah'at. Uh, the person who has um, been declared free of the condition after they have had it is called a Mutzarah, which is the name of the Torah portion. Beginning in Leviticus 14.4, as we read earlier, uh, there's this description of this elaborate seven-day ritual, uh, which involves cedar wood, crimson scarlet, hyssop leaves, and two clean birds. And according to Leviticus Vayikra chapter 14, verse 5, part of the ritual involved one of the two birds being slaughtered in a clay pot, clay pot over, and I think the translation we read tonight was fresh waters, but the Hebrew is, and, and Stern translates it as, as running waters, but uh, the Hebrew is mayim chayim. Mayim is water, but chayim from chay, life, living waters. Uh, whatever that may mean. Then on the seventh day, Leviticus 14, verse 9, the cleansed mitzvah rise to shave his head, beard, and eyebrows, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and he will be tahor, clean. And on the eighth day, Leviticus 14, verse 12 says, and a sham, a guilt or trespass offering is to be offered up in addition to a sin offering and a burnt offering. Now I use the term rising smoke offering instead of burnt offering, because burnt offering uh, is it, it's called that because the entire offering was consumed on the altar. But the Hebrew olah really has the idea of to rise, and it was to rise uh, unto the Lord as an offering as the smoke uh, went up. Leviticus 14 verse 18 says, By apl applying blood and oil to the Metzorah, the Kohen has made atonement for him. And so... Uh, we see the role of the asham uh, as part of the atonement process. And Yeshua is our asham. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 7 says, The blood of Yeshua cleanses us from all sin. Isaiah 53 describes the suffering of the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, He was wounded because of our transgressions. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Now, I was first shown Isaiah 53 when I was in college by someone who was witnessing to me, and I was confident that it would not read anything like what he had just read out of his Christian Bible when I looked it up in my Jewish Bible. 
But what I just read came out of my Jewish Bible, the JPS 1917 translation, where I found that this concept existed to my amazement. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him when his soul shall be made an asham, a guilt offering, a trespass offering, that he might see his seed, prolong his days. Now, this idea that someone could be offered up and the guilt offering was offered up on the altar. So it seems like these words from a Jewish Bible are predicting the resurrection of the suffering servant. So to bring this full circle, in the greatest bracket buster of all time, God's son was born to a young Jewish woman, became flesh and dwelt among us, lived a sinless life, and then took on the sins of all humanity when he was unjustly executed for blasphemy. And his next act was to conquer death in his resurrection as he was raised from the dead. And all that he went through is the only way that we are able to have forgiveness for our sins, and it enables us to have a restored relationship with the creator of the universe. So we see... Uh, in this condition, that there are accounts where a few people uh, were afflicted with Sarah'at. But the reality is it's a picture of the work that Messiah would do, that he would bring cleansing. Uh, He can bring cleansing from Sarah'at. We have accounts where he did that. He can also bring cleansing from the sins that that we have, uh, that bring us to a state where our temple is impure. Uh, We are to be a temple. We are to be a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, of the Ruach HaKodesh. Uh, And yet, we can have our temples be defiled. And uh, we can also receive the cleansing that Messiah Yeshua provided. That is the only way that we can be cleansed from the impurities of this world. That is the only way that we can be cleansed from our rebellion against our creator. The Bible calls it sin. And so I want to give you an opportunity uh, right now. uh, If you have not received Messiah Yeshua before, the cleansing that he provides allows you to have the freedom of no longer being in bondage. We're going to celebrate that next week in Passover when the Lord sent a deliverer, Moses, so that Uh, Our people could be set free from their bondage. But 2,000 years later, maybe 3,500 actually, uh, no, 3,500 is now. Let's say 2,000 years later, 1,500 to 2,000, I don't know who's counting. Anyway, (laughs) afterwards, he sent Messiah Yeshua as our deliverer because we can be in bondage to sin. We read about that earlier. It talked about being a slave to sin And yet we were created to serve the righteous creator of the universe. We are called to be slaves of righteousness. And so uh, it is only the cleansing that Messiah Yeshua can provide. So if you are here uh, in the sanctuary or if you're watching on live stream or even YouTube later, I'd just like to ask right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would like to say to the Lord, yes, I need the cleansing that only your son, Yeshua, can provide. If you would like to say, Lord, cleanse me of the rebellion that 
uh, I have been guilty of. Cleanse me of the, the sins because I have bought into the lies of this world. You can be set free tonight. You can receive forgiveness for your sin. You can receive a restoration in your relationship with your creator. So at this time, I would just ask, with every head bowed, every eye closed, all you have to do is just raise your hand and you can put it right back down. Is there anyone who would like to say yes to Yeshua tonight? We always give that opportunity. I am going to trust that the Lord would reveal to you uh, if you need to say that prayer uh, at, at some point, if you need to ask uh, to, to receive Messiah Yeshua's sacrifice on your behalf, and if uh, you're online or watching on YouTube and you decide to raise your hand uh, and to ask Yeshua into your life, please uh, email uh, Beth Hillel and, and let them know so that somebody can talk to you about it. Now, still in an attitude of prayer, I want to talk to those of us who are already believers in Messiah. Maybe coming in tonight, you kind of felt like being clean was part of what came with saying to the Lord, uh, I accept Messiah Yeshua's sacrifice on my behalf. But you now realize perhaps that you've been contaminated by this world in some ways. Maybe you've uh, bought into its lies. But you are ready right now to just say, Yeshua, I want you to make me clean. I want you to remove the things in my life that are not of you, the things that are unclean in the sight of the creator of the universe. Or maybe the Lord has shown you some area in your life where you've given in to the temptations of this world, uh, where the sin seems to be in a higher, seated higher, uh, and constantly having the victory. You can be a bracket buster tonight by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and asking the Lord to give you victory over this temptation that you may have struggled with for a long time because we can proclaim that we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So if you feel the Lord would have you to receive a cleansing tonight in some way, would you, you just raise your hand as, as a, a sign of commitment to him, saying, thank you, Lord, that you can provide this cleansing. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you that you can create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit and restore the joy of my salvation. Let's just all agree with those who raise their hands in prayer. Yes, Lord, we want to be clean, and we want to remove any contamination or uncleanness that causes us to be unclean in your sight as we seek a greater understanding of your holiness and we desire to live a life that is worthy of having your spirit dwelling in our midst. And Lord, we just want to say to you tonight something that we don't say often enough. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us of our sins and for cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Touch us, Lord, in our uncleanness that we would be cleansed. And Lord, give us a renewed spirit and a renewed passion to serve you as we thank you for your love. We thank you that you want the best for us. And we thank you for all that you are doing in our lives, in the life of this congregation, and in the life of our people Israel. And we ask these things in the name of our Messiah, Yeshua. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Shabbat shalom.
Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Night, 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 night.